0: Welcome everyone to the prize rise podcast. (laughs) I'm Quacey Millington. I'm here with my guest today, Trina. Real cough. And she is a certified resiliency trainer. She's going to update me with her full title as we get going here. uh, She has experience in trauma informed practice and promoting strategies and optimizing resiliency. Her professional background is diverse and includes working in the fields of mental health, behavioral analysis, corrections, ADR and social work, bringing more than 25 years of experience to providing service to persons and groups who have experienced trauma in diverse complex and high-risk environments, having worked sorry, having served organizations across Canada, government correctional facilities, schools, hospitals, sporting organizations, indigenous communities by providing critical incident stress management, employee assistance Occupational Health and Safety Consulting and Union Leadership. I hope I covered everything. Give me your full title. And um, I'm just going to say that we met on LinkedIn. We connected on the subject of resiliency. Your full title. And take me back uh, into how this all got started for you.
1: So, encompassing where my travels have taken me, life experiences, um, and just creating a website. I came up with the title of trauma-informed conflict management and resiliency specialist. And why that resonated with me, because out of all conflict, personal or professional, our growth comes from our resiliency. And my resiliency training and experience started in my early twenties when I was a behavioral consultant and um, school counselor working with out of mental health in Northern Alberta. And the community that I worked in encompassed a variety of persons, professions, cultures. So the environment encompassed a military environment, it encompassed farmers, um, small town, it encompassed many indigenous reserves and a lot of oil field and persons that worked on the rigs. Mm. So they were separated from their families. So that's kind of where the environment started. Um, I took my certified resiliency training from Nan Henderson, who is and was the guru um, down in Florida, California. And kind of where the resiliency started was working with the high-risk, high-need youth and families in the community. Those that had developmental disabilities, learning disabilities, um, single parents, high-risk parents in foster homes. They were, they were, you know, sometimes the stigma of a label of behavioral issues with a child youth. So that's who I worked with. And when I took the resiliency training, it was in the lens that at the end of the day, we all have strengths. We have an innate strengths. And that's where my passion of resiliency and every kind of career hat and personal journey I've been on is that we have innate resiliencies and that's what my certification taught me. We have 16 innate resiliency traits, personal protective factors, and then there's 12 environmental factors. And if as an adult, you can't name and identify your own personal resiliency traits, how do you pull them out when you really need them? When that next adversity conflict trauma happens, right? Because you have them in you. Since childhood, you have these powerful innate tools and traits in you, but if you can't name them, How do you grow from it? And then just recently, it was just thought of, you know, how COVID has impacted our kids, the youth, the young kids, babies that are just being born because of the isolation we're experiencing, the importance of helping parents, friends, family, everybody as a community, identify your strengths. Because as I look at COVID and how it's impacted us in resiliency, COVID has changed the way we all live in the world. So it's kind of like a death and we have to grieve it but is our chance with our innate resiliency traits to create our own leadership legacy in our personal life and our professional life. So resiliency traits can be implemented in your personal world. They can be implemented and used in your professional development and growth. And then they can also use those same skills and traits in an operational resiliency capacity for larger firms, businesses in their own strategic planning.
0: And I can't think of, like you said, a better time for us to need these traits, and what's interesting is that you mentioned protective factors, things that we can do, and a lot of people talk about that, myself included. And mm-hmm. most of us that train in resiliency know uh, know if we study that we do have innate characteristics that make us resilient. But I've never heard anyone say we have sixteen factors. So I find that very interesting. And without getting into all of them, can you just mention a few of them? A few of those innate factors that we that I guess some of us have or all of us have?
1: Well, and, we sorry, don't, have, you we don't have them all. We don't okay. have them all, right? Okay. It's identifying what you do have, okay. but you can learn new ones. So mm-hmm. some of them I'll do you mind if I share a story of that still resonates with me in regards to resiliency and growth?
0: That's why I'm having you on here.
1: <laughs> uh, so it was one of the first um young gentlemen I worked with. He was in grade five or six, I believe. And he uh, lived on the reserve, single parent. His mom was dating somebody um, that lived on the reserve as well. And he was one of the students that was referred to me. And here was a student who he always came to school on time. That was a guarantee. He sometimes acted out, there were sometimes issues with, you know, um, behaviors, aggression, attention, um, taking off from school, truancy. But this was a youth who always came to school. And as I got to know him, he also taught me about, excuse me, as I plug in my battery, for some reason it's not charging. No problem. Um, you have it in the wrong one. Okay, we don't wanna run out of our battery. Yeah,
0: no, no, not a problem. Yeah.
1: Okay, so we're back. So in, in learning about this youth and his family life, what it looked like on the weekends was that he would hide under his bed with a knife for self-protection. He would crawl, you know, throughout the house when everybody was passed out and take out people's knives that were stuck in their boots, you know, try and remove anything that might be a weapon because there was always fights in the house, tons of parties. It wasn't a safe environment for him. And as I was working with him, we were also working about getting him to a safe place to go live with his sister who was in BC. And at the present time, we were in Alberta. Working with this youth, having that negative environment, part of resiliency is creating that community of support. And when I looked at working with them, he taught me how to make bannock. He taught me no matter how hard it might have been that weekend or that night, he still had the innate ability to come to school on time. He could be sleep deprived, he could be hungry. I had taken him out for many lunches. And, but he still showed up in school. So when we're looking at a couple of his resiliency traits based on the environment he lived in, but how he was able to come to school, how he started to open up with me. He taught me how to make bannock. He told great jokes and stories. He was using some life skills. One of your own personal resiliency traits we can identify is a life skill. So what does that mean? Impulse control, assertiveness. He had some good decision-making because he innately knew school was a safe place for him. School was a place where he had supports. School was a place where he could grow. So he did have life skills at the grades five and six. So that would be what, 11 and 12? When we looked at another trait of personal protective factors is a positive view of personal future. And I still carry this um, picture and poem he wrote for me. It was a picture of an eagle and a wolf because he knew I loved wolves. And underneath it, he had a quote that said, "'Whenever life gets hard, just keep on smiling "'cause it'll get you through it.'" Mm. And where that resonates is, and having a background in mental health, is that when you do put on that fake smile, despite the grief the trauma something if you put on that fake smile our bodies actually produce endomorphins and you start getting that happy feeling okay so here's something by his little quote and then i learned later on that he taught me Hmm. and then you fast forward a couple years and um i'm still in the same city and i think he'd be in grade 11 or 12 and i'm shopping in walmart because it's christmas time so i'm looking at the toys for my kids. And all of a sudden I hear this name. Hey Trina, is that you? And I turn around and I see this young gentleman and he comes up and he gives me a big hug and tells me where he is, how he got to his sisters, how he's doing well, he's just home visiting and how I believed in him. And that has resonated because at the end of the day, humans were so quick to judge so quick to fall back on negative behaviors, negative memories, and the brain is wired that way. So we have to actually put effort to acknowledge our own resiliency strengths, help others recognize their strengths, because we need to grow. And now's the time that we really need to support each other in resiliency, in identifying our personal, professional, strategic plan resiliency traits, because we're, going to, we're creating our leadership legacy right now. COVID has changed our world.
0: Uh, (laughs) an understatement but yes absolutely yeah uh that's a beautiful story i love the fact that you actually saw him later on and you could tell okay the work that you did with him had an effect because a lot of times you probably see people that you know you do your best with them but then you never see them again and you don't know what their future was so i i'm grateful that you actually saw him again and thank you for that um now when you are deciding what factors the, pe- the, the person has. I guess that you pull those out by going into their story and then just picking out which factors you see based on the story they, they give you. How does that therapy work?
1: Well, oh, it, it's not, it's more, I give workshops or individual coaching training sessions and it's actually an assessment tool. So um, when I'm helping people identify the protective um, personal resiliency traits and environmental ones, it's actually an assessment tool. It was an assessment tool that I learned through my resiliency certification. So I help people guide them through their storytelling, past memories and experiences to help them identify the resiliency traits or when we're using the assessment tool, how to maybe build and strengthen ones that they're interested in and they didn't know they had. Mm. So an example of that is one of the, personal resiliency builders is creativity. I have no creativity. I can't even paint walls, right? That is, to me, that was always painful and just like, you're asking me to do something that's just awful. And a friend of mine just a few years ago introduced me to one of those where you go paint and wine. And I'm like... Oh, yeah, yeah, I did
0: that once, it's fun.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I've painted walls who friends find painting therapeutic and calming and it makes me polar opposite. It does not do well for me. But when I went to this paint, my aunt, that was who first took me in Mexico. And I'm like, okay, I'll just try it. I'm gonna, you know, step out of my comfort zone of what makes me feel uncomfortable. And I know I suck at. And I'm just gonna go for it because who knows? I also live with the motto of no regrets, right? So and the rocking chair test. When I'm 80 years old and I'm sitting in my rocking chair reflecting on life, am I gonna have a regret of not taking this experience? with my aunt in Mexico, not trying mm-hmm. to do something creative, even though I really hate it, but I'm still going to do it. And I can- What did you call that?
0: The rocking chair rule? or Rocking
1: chair test.
0: Oh, rocking chair test. Yeah, I like it's it. a
1: rocking chair test. Yeah. It's, it's, it's used sometimes to make life decisions, professional decisions, right? Cause
0: yeah, yeah. I at like the it. end of the
1: day, when you're thinking about, do you want to have regrets in life, whether you're successful or you're not, you still move forward in life, you still grew, you empowered and strengthened your resiliency traits in a different area, and you still learn something. Whether you fail or you succeed, you're still learning something, experiencing something new, creating a new memory, and then moving forward with that growth of whether it's a good growth or bad growth, you've still stepped out of that comfort zone to move forward, and that's what resiliency is.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Um and so when you talk about the protective factors um where do you bring that in to your your coaching do you do you look for innate factors first and then say okay let's see what are the protective factors we can build to make that person stronger um how do you balance those two types of factors
1: Well well it's not me doing it it's the person it's through transformational learning and coaching so taking your past experiences So we'd identify, do you want to use a personal experience or a professional experience? And what is the age range you want to kind of build? So when we start, I like to start in the early like junior high, high school, because that's where a lot of, you know, difficulty, trauma, conflict might happen, but you got through it and you're where you are today, right? So when you can recognize your early resiliency traits, you can then start to build and see how you naturally strengthen them. To where you are today which will then lead you where do you want to go okay okay so right so it's, it's through story. their story they through transformational learning of their past experiences combined with the assessment tool i have hmm. and the person is the one who identifies their own traits oh. what i love about this tool because it's so versatile you can use it professionally you can use it personally and um i have an upcoming workshop for parents Because this tool is something you can take and you can teach it to your kids. You can do it with your partner. You could share it with family members. You can take it to your work as a team builder.
0: And so it has a lot of different uses. Uh, I want to ask you because you seem to help, you help a lot of people, a lot of people from, you know, youth to adults, parents, et cetera, corporate. Um, Do you have a favorite type of client? No, or some, or someone that you kind of gravitate to because of your own past or anything like that.
1: My own past. When I, when I look at wanting to help people, it's just an innate passion, heartfelt passion, because one morning I woke up and it was not, it was this summer and I was thinking about resiliency and COVID and we hadn't opened up yet here in Ontario. Right. So my whole family's out west. My mom has gone through cancer. She got to ring the bell. I wasn't allowed to go help support her and my dad. I got a brother who's a COVID internal specialist in the state, so he's high risk. Sisters in the healthcare, high risk, right? And I'm stuck in Ontario. Okay. So I was kind of feeling helpless. So I woke up one morning and I was like, you know, what are my resiliency traits as of today? Because they change, right? Yeah. And so I started writing down, and I'm actually kind of creating a, a new kind of workshop. And it depending on who again the clientele is, but you can identify my neighbor called it a grocery list. So when I started writing out all my personal conflict, personal traumas, experiences, and then I was writing out my professional conflicts, professional trauma experiences I've held. And then you also have environmental ones that you've experienced and gotten through, right? So I started listing them out and I was like, holy, I've I've actually, I've gone through a lot. I've gone through a lot, right? But I've also succeeded and grown. And that's why I know having worked in corrections, having worked with veterans, having worked with children, having worked with divorced parents, having worked with um, homeless Helping people identify their strengths is what it empowers people to grow and move forward and bounce back from whatever they're experiencing because mm-hmm. they get to understand they are strong. Yeah. They are resilient. You have to believe you're resilient because you are, you just need to learn how to identify your own traits.
0: And your your coaching and the person that you're with that helps bring that out. Uh, you mentioned something interesting. You mentioned that your factors have changed. Um, how, what causes them to change and how do you know, uh, okay, these are not the factors that aren't working for me anymore and I need to move on. And I didn't understand that. Okay.
1: Yeah. No, it's, it's the factors aren't working. It's your traits, right? So you're depending on the circumstance, your strengths will come out for what is needed. Okay. So, so where my traits are when I looked at where I was today, this summer with COVID. So I was like, I've been in Ontario five years, I moved here for a marriage, I am now divorced, all my family's out West, I am still here because this is where my kids go to school, so I'm at a life point going, they're soon going to be, you know, out of their second post-secondary, where do I want to go, what do I want to be, where do I want my life, right, so thinking resiliency of doing that rocking chair test of living with no regrets I'm looking at my environmental traits, my protective factors. What are they? Where is my community support? Where is my family support? Where do I have people that can help push me to succeed, right? Challenge me to grow. When I look at my personal builders, right, just in the last, um, when I was creating that list, in my next life, I'm going to be – multi-level contractor because I've lived through the sewer backup. I've lived through the water flood in the basement. I've lived through the electrical short in the wall and just recently, um, twice in the house I'm at right now in February. And then just last month I lived through an active gas leak in my house. Oh, wow. okay. And instead <laughs> of, you know, and instead of getting stressed and worried, I went into my resilience traits, traits of being flexible, competent. And perseverance and the perseverance was what do I need to do in a crisis state who do I need to contact to shut off the gas but learned that who shuts off the gas on the outside of the house if it's not part of the furnace then that person is left to their own devices of finding a gas fitter who will come find the leak in your house before the gas goes back on Hmm. and when it's minus 20 in Mississauga and the wind's blowing it's kind of a trauma, yeah, it's right? Like it's an emergency, possibly.
0: right? <laughs> yeah, Canadian winters can be a trauma. <laughs>
1: right. So yeah. it's, it's looking at what do I know, my skills of past experiences, of, of how do I find a resource, you know, use everything within five minutes. It's like contact everybody I know. Do you know gas fitter who's HSA certified? I had my kids doing the same. I was emailing, I was texting. I was calling the, you know, emergency lines in the on the web for uh, gas, but emergency lines in Ontario, um, you get a 24 hour, maybe call back 48 hour for an emergency.
0: You know, and one thing I like about this story is that a lot of people think that practicing resilience is when something major happens and, you know, you lose loved ones and that's when you practice resilience, but resilience from what you're just telling me here, it's just something you practice every day. It's, it's the little things that show you how strong you are yeah. and, You know, talk about that. I mean, have you ever run into clients that think, oh, okay, I didn't have anything major in my life or I haven't gone through enough to say I'm resilient? Um, And what do you tell them?
1: Having worked um, in corrections and having worked with veterans and lived the life of a military spouse in the past and a mental health background, it's hearing the stories and helping people identify, even when they share that story, the strength of where they got to for the story they're sharing. Hmm. And then asking them what I like to do because my background is also mental health. Um, it's, it's something like solution-focused therapy. So You have the conflict, you have the trauma, whatever arises, and you ask that person, if you woke up tomorrow, everything was fixed or everything was status quo and the way you wanted it, what does that look like to you? What does that feel like for you? What would others say are different? in the environment or in how you are acting because people have their own solutions. So if you have your, if you know your resiliency traits or pick the ones you want to grow and strengthen, and then you ask yourself the rocking chair test and what does it look like to be successful or to get through this trauma, to get through this conflict, you've already, you've already set your end goal. So then it's working backwards to get to that end goal because it is possible.
0: Um, and, and you seem like uh, a strong person. I mean, you work and you coach from resilience. Um, what made you get back, get into this type of work? I mean, what was your upbringing like uh, as much as you want to share anyways, that kind of led you down the path uh, of wanting to help people be resilient?
1: It's, uh, yeah. Well, it all starts besides being a youth was um, the little girl dream of wanting to be an our TMP. Okay. And okay. so you get out of university, do a road trip to Calgary with a girlfriend after you graduate, apply for city and RCMP, city of Calgary and the RCMP. Halfway through the process, get in a major car accident um, that I was rear-ended, changed my life forever. I spent three years in physios, physio for my neck, physio for my jaw, physio for my back, had nerve frozen, had surgeries got laid off from a job because I had to be in physio too much and too many appointments. So that kind of got me into corrections and then into um, victim assistance unit and then into doing some social work and community work. Fast forward, that's my life. Um, Get married, have a couple kids. As I'm a stay-at-home mom for the first three years, I do another degree after degree. So I'm not just going mindless with kids, mm-hmm. my thing. But I got to live on the ocean. Backyard was uh, the ocean in Victoria. So I was very grateful for that um, and being part of the military community and seeing the needs, because it was during 9-11, which is coming up and with Afghan Afghanistan and all the information in the news right now, it is impacting me because it puts me back to that spot and recognizing the need for members, active reservists, veterans, their families they need to pull out the resiliency traits to know where they are today because th- there's a lot going on. So then I am, I'm doing my after degree and there was another posting coming up saying, our um, CMP are hiring a big hiring spree. And at that time put forward, I think I'm 15 years older. So I'm I'm in my high thirties. And I'm like, I did the rocking chair test. If I don't go for it and try it, Will I regret not trying this again? So I said, hey, I have nothing to lose. So went through the whole process. I got got on. I was two weeks, as I even shared the story, I get goosebumps. So I'm going through a divorce. I get accepted. I'm two weeks away from going to depot. My parents are going to look after the kids. I'm running. And all of a sudden, I get this shooting pain at my shin that took three years to diagnose with three different specialists in three different provinces because nobody knew what was going on. So it wasn't meant to be.
0: (laughs) Uh, And what did that end up being? What was that?
1: It's called sport, sport induced compartmental syndrome. So my muscle, when your muscle grows too big and the sheath around your muscle grows too tight. So it cuts off blood flow and it cuts off nerves. So I actually had to have a fasciotomy where they just kind of cut the sheath around your muscle. And then you sit for six weeks for the scar tissue to, heels oh. so it doesn't okay. fit out of your leg yeah
0: okay and that was i guess the end of the rcmp dream yes. at that point. right
1: but at least i knew i tried yeah yeah and i i didn't give up and i had the perseverance despite age despite past injuries that i had to do something for myself and where resiliency comes when we look at it it's going deep inside yourself and what do you need to do for yourself to feel successful, be successful, not have any regrets.
0: Mm-hmm. And it sounds like you didn't, you went for it, and you apply it. Sounds like you have that rocking chair test in your mind all the time, anytime oh, you of, of a decision. And I think that's one of the big things I'm definitely going to take away from this. Many things, but that's definitely one of them. Just apply that when you're thinking, should I do this or should I not? Okay, when I'm on that rocking chair. What do I want to look back and say about my life?
1: Yeah. What do you want your uh, memories to be? Will you have any regrets? Uh,
0: exactly. Exactly. Um, I want to ask you, I know that you say when you are going through things, you pull out those traits. Yeah. Uh, do you have a regular routine to stay mentally strong, a daily routine? Um, and what does that look like? A basic things that you do on an ongoing basis to, yeah. to stay strong mentally.
1: Workout. Workout is one, right? Because you need to be healthy and stress relief comes from working out. Um, another one of an example of resiliency, of a combination of basically spirituality, but self motivation. I recently, well, not recently, maybe about a year ago, I had my um, vehicle broken into and they took um, all my ID, badge, credit card, everything, right? And I was on my way to go to work and I'm just like, okay, I'm panicking. <laughs> I need to go to the police station to file a report and then go through the process. So I'm just, I'm living, right? I'm really angry, but stressed and a lot else is going on in my life. And what I have learned was the power of gratitude. So a practice I do, before I go to sleep, I named five things I'm grateful for. And it's something. it could be something so simple. And as soon as I wake up in the morning, I name five things that I'm grateful for. So what struck me with this practice was when I'm going through to go to the police station to file my report, I'm like practicing gratitude as I'm driving. I'm just grateful for anything. I'm grateful I'm driving. I'm grateful I can see the stars. I'm grateful I can see the nighttime turn into day till I get to the police station. I'm grateful that they're open with their trailer. I'm grateful I'm not curled up in a ball crying my eyes out, which is what I really wanted to do. And I just kept saying that. And then once I got that done, I made it to the driver's home registry to get a new driver's license. And then I had, I think, three different bank cards in my little wallet that I had stuck in there because I had gone to the gym the night before and I forgot to take it out. Oh, okay. And uh, so I'm doing grateful. And I called work saying, you know what, I'm going to try and make it in. But depending on my mindset, I told them what happened. I go, mentally, I'm just, I'm a mess right now. So I can't tell you if I'm going to make it there today or not, but I'll let you know. So I practice gratitude all the way to every bank. I made it to my office before noon, and I actually felt happy, healthy, energized, and ready to go. Mm -hmm. And what I've learned is that when you actually do practice gratitude or you receive gratitude, there's research that supports this, the body produces dopamine and serotonin. And those are the happy chemicals we need in our body absolutely um, and and until you again right it's something like it never doesn't resonate until you actually experience it but if you do a practice of right before you go to sleep it goes into your subconscious because it's the last thing you're remembering if you do it the first thing you wake up you've started the happy hormones for your body for the day
0: all day all day yeah um and i like the fact that you say it's a practice right because a lot of times People will try, okay, something for a day. It's like working out, right? So you work out yeah. too. You're not going to get results after a day or two. People understand that. But the same yeah. thing goes with the gratitude. Uh, you know, you were practicing. So when something hits you that you needed it to use it for, you were like, okay, I'm going to keep practicing gratitude. And it helps you at that point. Um, yeah.
1: It's, it's and- like, it's rote memory, right? You need to practice it so it becomes that innate habit, just like your innate resilience. traits. -hmm. That it'll be able to, you'll be able to pull it out when you need it. Mm. So, which kind of made me thinking too, because I finished just recently a workshop on trauma informed and with all, like throughout Canada, all the unmarked reserve um, burial grounds that are coming up and the historic trauma, right, that is being experienced by the Indigenous and intergenerational trauma, which can be experienced by anybody. So, if they say historical and intergenerational trauma, is through five generations that where it can be passed on through epigenetics. Mm. That means five generations of our resiliency traits that are also innate can be passed on. Mm. So if you start to look at how you are raised, or your grandparents, or before them, and some of their adversity, struggles, conflict, traumas, and how they got through it, where do you see yourself aligning with some of their strengths that have been intergenerationally passed on?
0: I love that because people don't always focus on the good things that have been passed on. They're like, Oh, this is the negative things that have been passed on. But what about the positive elements too? Um, and that's right. like, yeah. yeah.
1: And that's like going through any trauma, like for myself, divorce, right? It's, or a loss of job, the car accident as humans, only you get to control your thoughts, your cognitions, your cognitions, impact your behavior, which impact your emotions. So you have to decide where you're going to put your energy and power into remembering what is good or the easy way is remember the bad.
0: Hmm. Yeah, no, exactly. And so you have to remember the good as well. Um, Now you're a parent and you're going to be talking to parents. Uh, I'm a parent myself. What advice do you give? I mean, without getting too much into the workshop, which you're going to tell us when it's going to be, but um, you know, it's just one quick thing you would say to parents uh, of kids to help them to help their kids understand how to be resilient
1: <laughs> when, when you're looking at parenting right and because i used to you know counsel and do parenting workshops and that as a parent there's no right or wrong right it's your lived experience or whatever research and education you've, you've done. so if you go and learn about the different developmental stages of their their cognitive their behavior their emotions you'll save yourself a lot of stress to understand why they're not listening or why it's not working because they might not be emotionally or mentally, cognitively developed to actually comprehend what you're trying to teach them. Mm. You're just basically talking to yourself. Mm. And then to recognize their strengths, it's like looking at the difference between discipline and punishment. Punishment, there's no learning. Discipline is looking at what was the behavior, what was the behavior trying to tell you, and then helping them identify what are their strengths so that they can communicate better with you. And through the learning, right? Because that's what kids do. You'll learn through positive and negative reinforcement. Again, the easy way out is negative reinforcement. If you reinforce, yes, you did this wrong. However, I know you could do this because you've done this, this, and this before. I know you have that ability. I know you have those skills. And maybe they don't have those skills. So maybe it's recognizing as a parent, you need to teach them skills. So anger management, right? Everybody everybody has anger. It's developed at an early age. And whether it's stress, anger, they always say the skill tool breathing, right? But does anybody ever teach people how to properly breathe? And I was teaching kindergarten kids when I was doing anger management. And Tommy Turtle okay. was one of the other programs. Was that when you're angry or stressed or sad, you wanna be able to control your emotions and relax. And that's where again, the, the breathing. So the proper breathing, because when you're angry and upset, we all stop breathing, but we don't recognize it. So when you're angry, if you start training yourself that you put your hand on your belly and you breathe in through your nose for a count of four, hold it for a count of four, and then when you breathe out, you breathe out through your mouth for a count of four and hold it for a count of four, It puts the mind to focus back on breathing. And then when you get to breathe again, you get to start to relax because your muscles aren't tight, your blood pressure is not going up. And then you're able to make more informed choices. Mm. And even as a kid, ages five and six, you teach them how a timeout is a positive thing, not a negative thing. A timeout is where you go, you know what, I need a break and come back and let's talk about what would you do differently. Mm. Right? And that's where... As kids and as adults, we all have skills, but sometimes those skills, we don't know how to pull them out in the performance, in the environment, and that's a performance deficit.
0: So even though- I like putting the time out rule, right? Make yeah. make it positive.
1: Time out is a positive because you want to teach a child that if they're getting overwhelmed or angry, they can say to you, mom, dad, I need a time out. And that's you giving them the space to go do the breathing and relax, then come back. Because I'm as gonna, an adult, I'm,
0: I'm gonna come back to this clip <laughs> my <laughs> young one—he's only two right now—but uh, you know when when he comes in and yes. he's animated and gets a little older, this is gonna be good good advice for it, sure.
1: It works. It yeah. works because as adults, we need that ability to say, you know what, I need a timeout.
0: Yeah, yeah, right? exactly. And why wouldn't kids need it? It makes perfect sense. And breathing—and it sounds so simple—but we've forgotten how to breathe, and we get really tight. And i know in fitness they teach you to breathe when you're you know lifting heavy weights yeah but it's important for all areas as well um uh, yeah. and do you teach parent workshops ongoing uh what's your model like for for teaching these workshops
1: um depends on the need <laughs> yeah like right now the, the workshop that i just like it was last minute so i was thinking i have some friends that I've, I've, have younger kids like in elementary and high school and we're out at a lake and because of COVID and the isolation, we're on a boat and they don't want to even go dock where there's other boats because they're feeling it's too close. You're on a boat, you're on a lake, but there's too many people. Hmm. And and then hearing my kids who are in university and my own personal experience of when the gym opened up, I'm like, okay, yeah, the gym's opening up. I'm excited to go. And cognitively I'm excited to go, but my stomach and my body are telling me, mm, no, right it's like wait a minute there's anxiety there's nervousness there's fear because we've been closed down so much as a covid so that's where the idea of the workshop before school starts is to help parents identify their resilient traits and their resilient traits and strengths as a parent and then use that same tool to help their kids or help youth workers or anybody who's a caregiver it's prepared to go back to school and have confidence and be able to thrive not just survive and know that their feelings are okay and they're normal and they're common and they will get through this
0: absolutely and, and it sounds soothing just listening to you and so i know that you have so much to share um and at a time like this i believe that people need the coaching the, everything that you provide uh, more than ever and if someone wants to find you, someone wants to connect with you, someone wants to work with you, tell us where we can
1: find you. Um, On LinkedIn, I guess you would put my name in, Trina Rilkoff. Okay.
0: Spell your last name for me. Okay, yeah, spell it.
1: Trina is T-R-E-E-N-A, and the last name Rilkoff is R-E-I-L-K-O-F-F. And uh, I just created a, a web page. I had somebody create it for me because I tried many times, and I finally resolved that IT is not my forte. <laughs> um, so you can find me under um, www.tlrsolutionsforconflict.ca. Okay. TLR solutions Okay.
0: Tlr-solutions-for-conflict.ca. Yeah,
1: and uh, it's I- number four right? So it's solutions with the number four and then conflict.
0: Um, Okay. .ca, and of course they can find you on LinkedIn as well. Uh, Well, I want to thank you for your time, the tools you share, the tools you continue to share people like you that just are out there helping people build resilience or find the resilience that's within them. Um, And unlike, most of the other guests I've had, you actually talk a lot about the innate resilience that's within us and and, uh, helping people bring that out. So I'm grateful to you. Thank you for being on the podcast today.
1: Thank you for having me. Stay safe.